0: All right, if you guys have Bibles, devices, I encourage you to turn to Psalm 8 is where we're going to be this morning. So the last five Psalms, Psalms 3 through 7, have really honed in on the struggles of David, uh, specific to circumstances that he's dealing with in his own life. Uh, and we've heard on repeat about the ways in which David feels pursued by his enemies, uh, how his life is in danger, how he wants his enemies to experience God's judgment and wrath for the torment that they have caused David. Uh, and, and amidst his suffering, we've also continually found David giving us glimpses of God that are helpful. He speaks of God's steadfast love he he's leaning on god's grace and he's giving thanks to god he's pleading with god for righteousness he sings praises to god for what god has done so it's clear in all of this that david views himself as submissive and subservient to god and so today we're going to leave some of the specific circumstances of what david finds himself in the torment the pursuit and we we're going to find him just marveling at God, marveling at the greatness of God. And so that's what we're going to try and do this morning as well. So I want to read Psalm 8 for us, and then we will walk through this. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So as we begin, I want to mention briefly just the importance of structure and repetition that we find within this psalm itself. So we have a repeated phrase in this psalm that is helpful for how we think about and understand what David is seeking to communicate to his readers and what he is wanting people to sing, if if they're going to be singing this, what he wants them to be thinking about as they're singing. So in verses 1 and 9 at the beginning and the the end of this psalm, we have the exact same wording. It says, O Lord, O, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So whenever there's repetition in the Bible, we can always know that the author is seeking to emphasize something for us or to us. So, so what exactly is David wanting us to glean here? Well, one, we know that that he's just praising God, right? He, he's, he's wanting to worship God. So, so there's that, But but the content is focused primarily here on God's majesty in the whole of the earth. So what is majesty? Majesty refers to God's magnificence. It refers to God's power, that God is supreme in every way. So when we think of God or consider him, there should always be a sense of awe, this idea that God is awesome, but not in the way that we oftentimes think of awesome or the way in which we oftentimes use that word. So he's not awesome in the way an athlete makes an impressive play or maybe how someone conquers a level in a video game. He's awesome in that he's created every athlete and he's provided them all the physical gifts that they possess and he holds their lives together every single day and he's allowed them all the opportunities that they've been given in their lives and this isn't true just for one athlete but this is true for every athlete and every spectacular play that they might make in their lives. And and then as it pertains to someone maybe who plays video games, all the ideas, the the technology that we find in a a video game, uh, all the brilliance from the creative minds that have put that together, even that play the games, all that comes from God. He has created that. He has sustained those individuals, even those who master video games, their capacity to do that is a reflection of the creativity and the mastery of God himself. And it says here that his name is majestic. So whether we see it, whether we acknowledge it or not, his name is full of majesty. But this statement about God also finds significance in the structure that we're finding here in Psalm 8, at the beginning and ending of this psalm. So, if we go to the book of Revelation, we read there in Revelation 22:13, 13, it says, I am, this is Jesus talking, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So this this is going to speak a bit to what we're reading here in Psalm 8. So right now, all I want to do is acknowledge this, but then we'll unpack this observation a bit further um, in just a bit. Okay, so as verse 1 continues, then we read that this expression of praise is resulting from what God has done. So David says, you have set your glory above the heavens. And then he writes in verse three as well, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. So what David is doing is he's looking at creation and he's moved by the artistry of God. He's seeing God as an artist. He cannot help but marvel at the profound uniqueness of God. God can do things that no one else can. He is Painting things in the sky that no one else is able to paint. And this is clearly a reference back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, as God is speaking the universe into existence. So everything we see around us, God thought of all of this, the colors, the seasons, gravity, How the sun and the moon interact with one another. Stars and the water, the searing heat of the sun and the frigid cold of the Arctic, the immovability of mountains, fruit trees, all of this points to who God is and what he has done. It's speaking to the legitimacy and the incomparability of God. And and Paul, someone who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, he wrote about this in Romans chapter 1. He says there, For what can be known about God is plain, because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So, so we're able to see God and his glory and his power through creation, through everything that has been made. So all around us, the glory of God resounds. His creation is a megaphone exclaiming his goodness and his power. Every day, all the time, in every location and every circumstance, whether we see it or we don't see it, whether we feel it or we don't feel it, God is glorious. This world that we live in is God's canvas of beauty, and it proclaims his majesty. Do you see that? Do you appreciate it? And not just like at Christmas time, but is this a regular rhythm in your lives where you're able to stop and marvel at who God is and what he's done? Are you compelled by it? Do you want to live your life in a specific, intentional way because you're seeing the glory and the majesty of who God is? Okay, David's going to stop then. In the middle of this praise, he's going to make some observations and pose some questions to help us. Now, some of you maybe have heard the Bible is constructed in a number of ways. So so there's a grand story that's being told in the Bible. And one way that people talk about this is through these four words, creation, fall, redemption, glorification so creation is essentially genesis 1 and 2 fall is genesis 3 then redemption is god taking those things that are broken and putting them back together and that's that's the bulk of the bible he's redeeming people making right that which is out of that which is wrong and then glorification is the idea when we go to be with jesus which is a future Reality. So so he started off here with this aspect of creation, looking at what God has done in creation, speaking it into existence. So that's the creation piece here in Psalm 8. But then we move uh, into the fall section where David is going to talk about foes and the enemy. And, And this is speaking to... God's enemy ultimately, but, but David speaking, is speaking of his enemy here. So, the glory of God's creation was fractured by the sinfulness of humanity. God's creation sought to dethrone him and in so doing became God's foe. So, humanity has looked at God and his creation and said, I want to be like God. No, 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 that's not even enough. I want to be God myself. I I want to have his stuff. I want to rule in power. And and where we we even get to the point then where where we're saying, we're taking Bible verses and we're making them mean what we want them to mean by saying, I can do all things I set my mind to, which would be a, a popular cultural refrain right now. We manipulate the truth of God into what we want it to be. And in this, then, what we're doing is we're muzzling God so that it's our voice that really carries sway. So so we take the privileged place that God gives to us in creation, and we seek to increasingly privilege ourselves. God set his glory upon us. And then we seek to steal it in a myriad of ways. And through this whole crime against God, humanity sees themselves as wise when we're foolish. We see ourselves as strong when we're actually weak. So God then, in his response, is going to befuddle the wise and he's going to flex against the strong. And so what we see here in Psalm 8 then is This idea of strength from babes, okay? Strength from babes. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength. And we see this taking shape in many ways throughout the Bible. Uh, Israel was once a mighty nation that when they looked out at their Gentile enemies, they would view them as babies as it pertained to military strength. They would think, well, we can walk over those enemies whenever we want, but those enemies, those babies, would eventually exile Israel because of Israel's sin against God. When Jesus came to Jerusalem, right before he was going to be crucified, he was greeted by children with shouts exclaiming his greatness, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And, and so as all these children are chanting for Jesus, praising him, there's all these religious leaders that are looking on as this is unfolding. And and they couldn't believe that Jesus was okay with this. And, and in response to all this unfolding, Jesus quotes Psalm 8-2. He says to these religious leaders, out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength. Jesus came as a helpless baby. When we look at him in the manger, no one thinks power and glory, but he came as a helpless baby to then rule with incomparable strength. So in in this dynamic of the fall, it's just pure foolishness for us, for humanity, to see the power and the glory of God and then to seek to rival him in, in any way whatsoever. So we need these ongoing reminders throughout the Bible. That that we are not what we think we are. And that's what we find throughout the Bible. Our strength is not found by looking inward. Our strength is found by looking at Jesus. And so the gospel, the Bible is going to call us over and over. Don't look to yourself. Life is not found in you. It is found in Jesus. And so David is looking at the grand scheme of God's power in creation, in the creation of all that is, and he's marveling at God's majesty. But, but what we we can love about this psalm is that David doesn't stay in the big and the vast. He comes to the small as well. This God, ruling over everything, is also concerned about the details. Now, think about us as individuals. There's some people who are really good at the big picture. They they can cast a vision, they can see things from 30,000 feet, but oftentimes they're not really good at the details. But then there's other people who are phenomenal at the details. They, They can't put the big picture together, but they love being able to do the small tasks that contribute to that big picture coming together. Casey and I experienced a bit of this uh, this past week. So I've been working on this woodworking project and woodworking is not my strong suit, but, but I came up with this plan, right? And I, I cast vision for our family. Like this is what we're gonna do. This is how it will benefit, uh, how it will be useful for us. And so we go through all that. I've got the vision, I've got the big picture. I've got the drawings, okay? Then we start working on it. It's the details, right? We're measuring it all out. We're drawing the lines. It's all happening. And then we find ourselves halfway in and we're off by a half inch. And it's like, what in the world happened? Where did we go awry? What what did I do wrong here? And it was just reminding me of this reality of, how great God is. And and David finds himself here, maybe he's a bit perplexed by all this because he's wrestling with God's ability to balance both the big and the small. He says here, what is man that you are mindful of him? So he's looking at the vastness of all that there is. And then he looks at humanity and he says, what is man in comparison to all that? What is man that you are mindful of him? God is able to rule over the cosmic while also caring deeply about the small intimate details of our lives. And this is redemption. We are broken people who have made ourselves foes and enemies and God enters into this reality. He leaves comfort. He comes into our broken reality to redeem us to bring us back to him. Now, this is speaking to the privileged place that God affords humanity. It says here in verse 5 that humanity is crowned with glory and honor. Crowned with glory and honor. Thinking about this this past week, like just trying to sit in this for myself, Like it felt sacrilegious for me to think about this, like applying to myself that that I'm crowned with glory and honor. Me, not me, I, I know my heart, but I love the gospel principle here that we get. Glory and honor are bestowed. They're given, they're not earned. We're not meriting it in some way. We can't increase what we were given by God. It's bestowed upon us. It's a beautiful part of the gospel. Also, it is this same glory that God bestows upon us that we then mar when we try to make much of our name instead of God's. When we try to build our kingdoms Instead of God's kingdom, we are below angels, but possessing dominion over animals and all things in this physical realm. And we've been given a charge to rule and care for that which God has created. So listen to this we are not consumers, we are not consumers, we are caregivers. We are stewards. Is that how you see yourself? Man, it's really hard in a consumeristic culture to not just slide into viewing ourselves as consumers. You are not intended to be a consumer, but a caregiver. This is how God calls us to live. Now, this is saying some great things about us, that we are crowned with glory and honor. But lest we make this too much about ourselves, the descriptions given in this psalm are ultimately describing Jesus. Okay, so it talks here about the son of man, the son of man that you care for is explicitly foreshadowing Jesus. Jesus, on many occasions, refers to himself as the Son of Man. But it's also helpful to hear in this psalm of God's care for the Son of Man. So, when, I, when we think of Jesus so often, I'm thinking of Jesus on the cross, right? And so, it's almost as though the divine author who is speaking through David, is foreshadowing. He's anticipating many people questioning God the Father's love for his son as Jesus hangs limp and bloodied on the cross. God's care for his son never ceases. And we see that in this psalm. God cares deeply about humanity. He cares deeply about his son, even as he hangs on the cross. And this connection becomes even more explicit. As the author of Hebrews, so we not too long ago went through the the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews quotes verses 4 through 6 describing Jesus. Okay, He is specifically describing Jesus by quoting these verses verbatim. But what the author of Hebrews makes clear is that Jesus was made lower than angels for a little while so that he would be crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. Now, when we think of glory and honor, what what our minds go to pretty quickly is prestige and position and riches but Jesus is having glory and honor bestowed on him because of his suffering, because he made himself low, because he became a servant, he humbled himself. So in God's economy, glory and honor are connected to humility, to becoming low. Furthermore, in Philippians new testament book it says in chapter 2 verses 8 through 11 and being found in human form jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross therefore god has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The name of Jesus, the name of Jesus will resound throughout the chambers of this earth. Jesus' name is the name that matters. His name is the name that possesses majesty. It is His name that we will sing in just a moment as we sing the song, Behold our God. We are to be consumed with the greatness of Jesus and his name. Our lives are to be a continual making much of Jesus' name, which conversely then means a continual laying down of our priorities, our ambitions, an ongoing bowing of our knee to Jesus. So as this verse is talking about, every knee will bow before Jesus. This doesn't just happen when we see Him. That for Christians, this is happening every day that we are bowing our knees to Jesus. We are exalting his name day after day. That is the normal course of life. But it won't just happen. We, we have to be intentional. And this is, this is how God then, as he pursues us, draws us to himself, this is how he ultimately redeems us. And then in that construct of creation, fall, redemption, glorification, this is then what ultimately leads to our glorification, our residing with Jesus, forever. Submitting to Jesus then leads to being united with him. So what this psalm is teaching us is that a correct understanding of God, a wholehearted belief in the God-man Jesus, is vital to our understanding and living out the role that God has for us as humans in this world. So Jesus Like we see in this psalm, Jesus must be the starting point and the end goal of our lives. We must understand that his name is majestic, that he alone is full of majesty. And he must then encompass every aspect of our lives from the beginning to the end. Jesus must be the motivation then for why we go to work every day why we go to school whenever that happens again. So so he's the one that's pushing us, but he's also the end goal. He's the point then of what we're doing. So we work and we study, not for our own glory, but for Jesus' glory. The reason that we make money is not so that we can indulge ourselves or build our own kingdom, though God clearly wants us to experience his goodness through good gifts, But money is intended to make much of Jesus, to point people to him, to advance the gospel. So from the raising of our heads off of the pillow every morning, Jesus' name is to be praised until the lying down of our heads at night. Jesus' name is to be heralded from the beginning to the end and everything in between. Jesus is full of majesty, and so our lives are to seek to sing that song that he alone is majestic. Three points of uh quick points of gospel application for us this morning. Then first of all, God has regard for you. Okay? So we we see this as David is talking about God showing care for the Son of Man, okay, and showing care for man himself, for humanity. God has regard for us. The one who possesses all honor and all glory bestows honor and glory on you. He bestows honor and glory on you. The problem is, We dishonor the honorable one. But his honor is further displayed via grace. He honors us. We dishonor him. He further shows his honor by by lavishing even greater honor on us, forgiving us of our dishonor. God cares about you in general ways, And specific and and this is intended to be the motivation to believe in him so receive that from him God has regard for you in ways that no one else does so let that inform how you view him and then ultimately how you trust in him receive this care and trust him more and more secondly Glory isn't found in us. It's only found in God. The reality is, is you and I do not possess the power of life and death. God does. Only God. We are the creation. God is the creator. Okay? So let's see him for who he is. Let's see ourselves for who we are. And when we understand that glory is found only in him, then... For our third gospel application point, live for Jesus. Please hear me on this really clearly. The point of your life is not you. The point of your life is not you. It's the gospel. This afternoon, I'm uh I'm doing the wedding for Landon and Annie. And, and I'm going to be telling them on this day of celebration, this day that is seemingly about them, that they need to understand this marriage that they are engaging in is not about them. Marriage is intended to tell a greater story. It's intended to tell the gospel of Jesus coming to his bride to rescue her and to save her. For us, Life is not about us. We need to hear this over and over. Life is not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about the gospel. J.I. Packer says, Only when you know how to die can you know how to live. Life comes through death. Dying to ourselves is the only way that we will find true life. Do do you ever find yourself just feeling blah? Maybe even more so in this stage and season of life where you just, maybe you're mopey, you're tired, you just feel blah. Living for ourselves can lead us to feeling blah. Because here's the reality. You and I are ordinary. We're not spectacular. So living for something that is not spectacular will lead us to that same end. Jesus is not unspectacular. He is glorious. He is majestic. So we must reorient our living, and our thinking away from ourselves and towards Jesus. Colossians 3, 1 through 3 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Our life, true living, true coming alive is tied up with Jesus. He is our life. Jesus is who we yearn for, so live for him.